so, so um, we'll see what happens. But this, the state of the church, this, these, these topics, we're wanting to give you an overview of kind of these different categories in church life and kind of how we got to where we're at now. So today we'll be talking about leadership. Um, but first of all, I want to tell you a story. So Johnny woke up one morning and said to his mama, I ain't going to church today. Johnny's mama said, hush your mouth. It's Sunday morning. You've got to go to church. Johnny said, no, mama, I ain't going, and I got two good reasons. They don't like me, and I don't like them. Mama said, I know, Johnny, I understand. Life can be hard, but I got two good reasons why you've got to go to church this morning. You're 42 years old, and you're the pastor. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. And thankfully, that is not how I feel about our church. I trust that you all like me fair enough as you get to know me. I like you all. In fact, maybe there's love here experiencing in our, in our body of, of believers. But part of the reason we laugh is we understand that there's this sort of divide in the church between the leadership and the people, the parishioners, the flock, the clergy, the laity. And um, that is a lot of pastors' experience, uh, that they, you know, Pastors get together, they complain about their folks, and I'm sure people get together, complain about their pastors, and so we kind of get that. I think that's why we laugh. That little story um, is how Brennan Manning, beloved author, um, whose, whose story is amazing, his, his journey through grace, um, and he starts one of his favorite talks. So if you ever want to find that talk on YouTube, it's called God Loves You As You Are, Not As You Should Be, by Brennan Manning. So his story, he... Uh, he was a priest but fell into alcoholism and was deep uh, flocked of his priesthood and eventually found a voice uh, in the Christian community again through his own experience of grace. So, um, yeah, so we kind of laugh at these, these types of things. Uh, statistically speaking, according to the Fuller Institute and George Barna, and I looked this up, the profession of pastor is near the bottom of the survey of the most re- respected professions just above car salesmen. So, and if there's any car salesmen, we love you too. Like, we need cars, we need spiritual communities, all the things. Um, So, yeah, the pastors or the pastor is the one that we look to in the church for leadership, right? So, speaking of leaders in the church, how is leadership going in the state of the church? And I've called this talk, Leadership in the Age of Passivity. So the way this will go, and I told the worship team, I said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get going. I have a lot of content, and, and I'm going to be flying through. I'm going to be cutting as we go and all these things, and uh, we do have a lot here. So I'm going to talk about first what should be. So we, we usually we start sort of like with the problem, but we're going to start today with what should be. Then we're going to talk about what is, the, the leadership and the state of the church. Then we'll look at how did we get there. And where are we going to go from here, okay? So first of all, what should be? We read in Genesis 1, uh, this is kind of vision for humanity. It says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, that rule over the livestock, all the wild animals, rule over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind In his own image, humanity in his image, in the image of God, he created them, both male and female. 
God blessed them and said to them together, both of them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. Exercise leadership over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So originally, we are God's image on this earth, this planet. And you can read a little bit earlier in Genesis, the world had already fallen into disarray. Uh, Things had gone wrong, like in the spiritual realm. You know, the earth was formless and void. It was like, it was chaotic. And then the the Spirit of God hovered over, and there was a recreation, uh, a creation act, culminating in God placing humanity as his image bearers, as his representatives. Even you could think of it as his idol. We are his idols. We reflect who he is on this planet. Another way to think of that is we are his co-rulers or um, uh, co-vice regents. So he is king and we are his vice kings on earth, male, female, together to rule the earth, okay? And then from there, uh, the the big picture vision we read about in Habakkuk 2.14, he says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the original mandate Be fruitful, multiply, rule, lead over all the earth, fill the whole earth with the glory of God, the knowledge of God. Now, if you'll remember, humanity, there was a fall, happened pretty quickly. We rejected his leadership, and then our own form and understanding of leadership went awry big time. And instead of filling the earth, we kind of huddled, Tower of Babel, remember that? So we did not really follow through with this plan to be God's leaders on earth. So that's what should be. Now let's think about what should be in the church. And we talk about the church, uh, I think we all kind of maybe have an idea of what the church is, but let's just back up slightly and just ask the question, what in fact is the church? So 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, And uh, if you're new here, new to scriptures, you can read all about it. The whole thing is about Jesus, uh, who was the Son of God, became man, lived a perfect life, died the death that you and I should die, and rose again. So 40 days after his resurrection, he's uh, meeting with his followers. He's teaching them how to live in light of his life, death, and resurrection. Awesome Bible studies occurring and all these things. And then they gather around him, and this is in Acts 1, and they say to him, 40 days after he has died and rose again, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they've been with him all this time, and they're like, remember the the glory of Israel under King David? Let's go back to that. Is now the time, right? And he said, whoa, whoa, hold up. I have a whole thing that's at least 2,000 years uh, long called the church. No one saw this coming. No one knew that the church that you and I get to be a part of was actually a huge part of God's mission where he originally wanted to fill the whole earth with his knowledge, relationship with him. So yeah, he he chose Abraham. He created a people. All of this, though, to then have the church be the ones who carry that good news of relationship with God through Christ to the whole world. People did not expect a Messiah who would come, die, rise again, leave, and then come at a 
unforetold time in the future. That was a brand new thing. So the church is, is, was com- completely um, unexpected to these Jews. Clearly, they're, they see Jesus for 40 days. They're like, we're ready to go back to the glory days of Israel. He's like, hold up. I got this thing called the church, okay? Unexpected reality of the church. By the way, leadership, one of the best definitions is uh, leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> what a disappointing definition. But I want it to stick with you because that, that think about that. We're dis, Jesus is disappointing these people. They wanted him to be this guy, and he's disappointing them, hopefully at a rate they can absorb so they can get it, they can step into God's vision for them. There's this um, great quote in a really good book by Todd Bolsinger called Canoeing the Mountains. And he says, it's not so much that God has a mission for his church. So the big, the big picture idea is not just the church. It's that God has a church for his mission in the world. So he's had a mission all along that he's been working. And then we're in this, this period of time where we get to see this come to fruition uh, the whole earth knowing about God and knowing who he is until Christ will return. So what, does, what should leadership look like in this thing that we're trying to do called the church? Key passage, and we talked through Ephesians, and I think Josh may have referenced this passage recently too, but it, it really captures a lot about leadership in the church. Ephesians 4 uh, Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So there's a whole diversity of types of leaders, and there's a plurality of leaders. So notice those two things. He didn't just give the pastor. He gave all of these different types of leaders, and there's a plurality of leaders. And this isn't about He's not defining offices. He's not saying, hey, when you form your 501c3, write down apostle, prophet, all these things, and then make sure you have someone in that role. He's describing functions of leadership in the church, activities that we do to bring about the mission. And here's what the leaders are to do in New Testament church leadership. To equip his people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the goal is not to have a few super Christians or a few leaders who know the things, do the things, execute the mission. It is for all of us to grow up into that maturity. By the way, this is the only instance uh, where the word pastors is used in the New Testament, and it's it means shepherds, and it's a function, not an office. It is the, the act of shepherding people. I was at a recent uh, denominational conference for the Kansas Wesleyans. Woo, woo, that's us, right? Now. With Josh and Mike was there as well. And I overheard a pastor saying um, that our people are our ministry. And I, it just, I thought about that in light of Ephesians 4, and I thought, Now, if my role, if leader's role is to equip you for the ministry, how can you be my ministry? Our ministry, our acts of service are out there. Those people that are part of the mission of of our church, uniting people in the way of Jesus. Now, 
I also am part of you. I'm one of you. So it is my role to exercise the one another's in the body of Christ. There are over 50 one another exhortations. Love one another. Serve one another. Encourage all these things. And that is not something the leaders do to the people. That is something we do to one another. Okay? So when I think of you, I don't think of you as my ministry. When I think of myself as a leader, I think, how do I equip the flock for the ministry? Does that make sense? And that's New Testament. That's New Testament model of leadership. In 1 Peter 5, uh, we read that uh, Peter encourages a multitude of leaders, a plurality of leaders to shepherd God's flock under their care, watching over them out of, out of a willingness to serve, not pursuing dishonest gain, eager to serve. So there should not be uh, abuse of power, misuse of power, money hungriness, any of that. Um, but just watching, shepherding, feeding. The King James Version says, feed God's flock. Not drive the people to do the things I want to do, build our kingdom, but feed the people so they can grow to maturity and walk in the good works God has for them. So that's what should be. We should be experiencing this loving one another that's building us all up together in love, the body of Christ, all to maturity, where we are walking in good works, spreading the mission of God. The mission of Mosaic Church is, should be synonymous with what God is doing, uniting people in the way of Jesus. So let's talk a little about what is. So kind of the state of the church, leadership in the state of the church. So today in the church, when you think about leadership, you pretty much think about the pastor, right? I had a great pastor growing up. I had a bad pastor. Like a lot of our thoughts about church and leadership, is, it revolves around the pastor. There's a book um, written in 2010 that was uh, kind of influential for me. This, this is written by a guy named Darren Patrick, um, who pastored a church in St. Louis. And um, so this is 2010. We planted Tallgrass Church in 2018. And so this is about church planting, but you can think about the pastor too, right? You could think church planter, the pastor. Think about that. Look at that image. Dark, foreboding, sickle in hand, Probably alpha male, probably likes UFC, which was a huge thing back then. Leadership in the church, masculine leadership in the church. You got to watch UFC, all these things. <laughs> a lone man with a vision, right? The man, the message, the mission by Darren Patrick with forward by Mark Driscoll. And... Um, and if you fast forward, we've, we've talked before, Mark Driscoll is a celebrity pastor who had fallen from grace and is kind of back at it, continuing to lead and lead and lead. Um, and, you know, highlighting this, I'm, these, these men are, in a way, doing the best they can with what they got. But as Josh mentioned, uh, the first sermon, um, God continually raises voices up to reform the church, to continue to speak into things. There are going to be things about what I believe or how I lead that will be looked back upon like he's doing it as best he could, but we were off on these areas. And so I want to reflect on that. How did we come that church planting is about this one guy 
um, doing this thing. Now, this, this book and this image and this pastor, it, it, it hits me particularly hard because this guy, uh, Darren Patrick, and I remember hearing him speak at a church planting conference I went to, he actually took his life in 2020. Um, what, what happened to my photo? There it is. And so I was reading the Amazon reviews on this book. I was just wanting to look back. I, I grabbed my copy of the book, and uh, I remember learning some of his story, his own struggles with, with mental health issues, how lonely it must have felt to be an up-and-coming uh, leader within the church, doing conferences, being, being sort of a celebrity. And tears just come into my eyes because I, I'm reading that, and resonating with, with glimpses of just thinking, what must it be like to be in, in his shoes and to be the one guy and, and the, the, the success and all these things? And, and the reviews, I thought maybe that on Amazon there would be someone go back on there and say, hey, good book, but we're, we're, we're sad because of the tragedy. But it, it's just like it was captured in 2018 and everything is positive and it, there's no follow-up. And not that there would be on Amazon. But that's not okay. And th there, there's going to be, um, in any profession, that, you know, suicide is a thing we can't control. And I'm not saying that, that all pastors are in this place. But I think there is something wrong with the state of leadership in the church that we as a church need to be aware of, need to think about, need to push against, need to do something differently. So think of all the celebrity pastors that have dominated our headlines. And we could recount all sorts of them. We could think of all the scandals that have occurred with leaders of churches. Um, you know, they, they keep hitting closer and closer to home. Uh, you know, it's one thing to have people fall from grace that I don't really know when I was growing up. But then when you read about what happened with Ravi Zacharias, like, oh my goodness, there's something wrong with leadership in the church. Mark Driscoll was a huge influence to me. I'm, if you're new to this and you don't know these people, that's okay. But you probably know enough to know that the church is ransacked by scandals and fall from grace from leaders. Not to mention the whole, and this is a whole talk or two on itself, the, the, the silencing of 50% of our population in a lot of churches that do not allow women to lead out. It's like, that's not okay. We need all hands on deck in the church. So a quote from a, a book by uh, Frank Viola and George Barna. George Barna is the, the uh, statistics guy. It's called Pagan Christianity, and it's exploring the roots of pagan influence in how we do church and the state of the church today. They say the contemporary pastor rivals, and think about this, the functional headship of Christ in his church. Now, I think we've worked at our church against that. Like we literally have a co-leadership model that's very intentionally trying to address the state of leadership in the church. Um, but the church at large, this, this role of pastor, illegitimately holds a unique place of, of centrality and headship among God's people, a place reserved for one person, the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 5, Jesus is the head of the church. And they go on. Um, oh, let me see. Maybe I missed that one. I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Oh, yeah. 
Part of us doing co-lead models means we've reduced hours, and I'm also working another job, so sometimes my brain, when we, when we show up here. Um, Frank Viola and George Barna, they also, they go on to say that the pastoral office has a way of chewing up many who come within its parameters. Uh, let me get back to this, sorry. Patience, thank you. Um, depression, burnout, stress, emotional breakdown occur at abnormally high rates among pastors. And if we think about all the, the roles and responsibilities that we tend to place on the shoulders of, you know, leaders and leaders that are aspiring and growing in their leadership get more and more placed on their shoulders, vision casting, identifying training leaders, preaching, teaching, raising money, serving the needy, providing strategy, planning, organizing the activities and programs, overseeing the administration, managing staff and volunteers, resolving conflict, representing the congregation in the community, uh, being an upstanding citizen at all times, congregational care and counseling, evangelizing the unsaved, administering the sacraments, all of these things. Sometimes not even on the job description, but they're part of the expectation that we place on leaders. And so when you read through the stats, the pressure to have an ideal family, the pressure to work more, insufficient with time with spouses, the stats are, are really pretty bad for those who we put in positions of leadership. So the state of leadership in the church, you know, I think most of us who've been around and have a genuine desire to get to know Jesus and a curiosity about the church, we know something is wrong. We can feel that. We feel that culturally. There's something terribly wrong with leadership in the state of the church. So how did we get to this place? Okay, now we're ready for Frank Viola and George Barnum. With the fall came the implicit desire in people to have a physical leader to bring them to God. For this reason, human societies throughout history have consistently created a special caste of revered religious leaders. The medicine man, the shaman, the rhapsodist, the miracle worker, the witch doctor, the soothsayer, the wise man. I like to call it the hired holy man, the person who shows up, gives a blessing, and moves on with their day. Not asking too much of us individually. And the priests have all been with us since Adam's blunder. I want to look at the life of Israel briefly. Um, so we talked about the, the fall. There were the, this, these leaders that God appointed called judges who are kind of leading over the Israelites. Now the last judge, his name is Samuel. He puts his sons in charge of Israel. For it was terrible idea. I don't know. Samuel was a great leader until that moment. He did not pass the baton very well at all. So his sons, probably some nepotism involved in there, terrible leaders, all sorts of abuse of power. The people are upset, as they should be when there's abuse of power. So they call a meeting with Samuel. And here's the people's solution. They said to Samuel, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, here's our solution. Appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. They've, been, they've seen all these other nations that have kings to fight their battles, kings to build their cities, kings to do all the things for them. That's what we want. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord because he knew that God himself was their king. It says, the Lord told Samuel, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, Samuel, 
but they have actually rejected me as their king, as they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, consistent with the fall. Like we continue to, to throw off God's leadership of us, forsaking me, serving other gods. So they're doing that to you, Samuel. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So we'll listen. The original king over Israel, God said, you don't want me as king? You want your own earthly king? Fine, I'll give it to you. But this is what he will do. And it kind of sounds a lot like politicians today. He said, Samuel told um, all the words of the Lord of the people who are asking for the king. This is what the king will, who will reign over you. He'll claim as his rights. He'll take your sons. He'll make them serve with his chariots and horses. There's going to be a lot of war, right, to fight. He's got to have a name for himself. He's got to fight the battles. They'll run in front of the chariots. Some he'll assign to commanders of thousands, fifties. Others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. Others to make weapons of war, equipment for his chariots. It goes on, he'll take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, bakers. You can read it on and on. He'll take a tenth of your grain. He'll tax you. He'll lay burdens on you. You will become slaves. Now, I mean, our culture is not that extreme now, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot being asked of us when we put people in leadership roles, right? It says, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Something amazing about God is he does give us freedom of choice. He, he does not strong arm us to do his bidding, to do his will. He gently uh, is calling us to repentance, to turn to him. In Romans, it talks about his kindness leads us to, to repentance. So he will give us, if we choose it, he will give us what he asks for says, the people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like the other nations, these big, powerful nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and to fight our battles for us. When Samuel heard all that the Lord said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord said, listen to them, give them a king. You can read from there. Saul looked like a great dude, terrible king. Then we have a glimpse of a good king, King David. But read his life, his story. He's supposed to be fighting battles and he doesn't. There's all sorts of stuff that happens. You can read about that. But he at least gives us foreshadowing to a king who is to come one day. Like, fine, give him a king. This is going to go terrible. And it did. But I will still be king over them eventually. And one day they will turn to me. So we read in, in Jeremiah... And here's where we're, we're skimming a little bit. Um, all these leaders of Israel, the prophets, the priests, the kings, those who are shepherding the flock, of course they're not doing it well. And God comes down on them. Woe to you who shepherd these, these flocks and scatter the sheep of my pasture. He says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them. I will bring them back to their pasture where they'll be fruitful and increase in number. Remember that original, that original exhortation, be fruitful and multiply? God's saying, I gave them what they wanted, but I will remain faithful. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing. Remember the, the uh, parable of the lost sheep? And God's going to do this. He is going to continue to lead. It says, the days are coming. 
when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. King Jesus will be installed in the throne, on the throne one day, as he is now. But are we acknowledging, are we respecting, are we following him as our leader? So this, this, this prophecy is fulfilled now in Christ but still only fulfilled partially. This whole church age is King Jesus with us as his body, continuing this mission of seeking and saving the lost until full uh, fulfillment of this, proce- this prophecy. So we see the human pull, the Israelites pull, and we see it in, 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 in all of us. We want someone to lead us to fight our battles for us. So then, again, how did we get to the pastor as the leader in the American church? Let's see how much we got here. You ready for a little history, church history? Okay. We've got Genesis 1, original um, call for us. We've got the kings. We've talked about uh, Jesus. So Jesus, he rose again. They're looking up at him in awe, and then this angel says, hey, why are you looking up there? Like, he's going to come back someday, but you got work to do, okay? And we're still in that period. Well, very shortly after um, the disciples and those that the disciples discipled died away, things began to go awry in the church as pertaining to leadership. There's a gentleman, uh, one of the church fathers, Ignatius of Antioch. Now, Ignatian spirituality is... There can be a lot of contemplative things to learn from these guys, but there are some influences that I would argue have have wreaked havoc when it comes to leadership in the church. So Ignatius of Antioch introduces the one bishop rule, because how are you going to manage all these people? The gospel spreading, gospel spreading. Oh man, that plurality of leadership, team leadership, that's really hard. We need to put one person in charge of each place, right? One bishop rule. So listen to some of the things that he said. So in his epistle, to the Ephesians, so not part of the biblical canon, not the book of Ephesians, Ignatius of Antioch's book to the Ephesians. He said, it is manifest, therefore, that we should look upon the bishop even as we would upon the Lord himself. We look to the bishop as if he is Jesus. In his book to the Philippians, but the Spirit proclaimed these words, do nothing without the bishop. So not where two or three of the body are gathered in my name, Wait till the bishop shows up, then the real work can begin. Then we can start doing the spiritual things. Um, a longer reference in his epistle to the Smyrnaeans, he says, see that you, and, and again, well, maybe I didn't say this, Ignatius, he, was, he lived from 35 to 107 AD. So right as Jesus died, he was, being, he was born and lived and led in the church. See that you all follow the bishop even as Jesus Christ does the Father. So Jesus follows the Father, you follow the bishop, and the presbytery as you would the apostles, and reverence the deacons as being the institution of God. Let no man do anything connected with the church without the bishop. It's not lawful without the bishop either to baptize or to celebrate a love feast, aka the Lord's Supper, but whatsoever he shall approve of, that is also pleasing to God. So everything that is done may be secure and valid. Church, sit around, 
do nothing until the bishop shows up and he can do some things and then we feel good, right? Like the king, fight our battles for us, do our thinking for us, all these things. A couple other church leaders who, are, who have made significant contributions in a positive way to the church, but these contributions, I think, have set us awry in leadership. Clement of Rome uh, died in 99. First one to use the word laity. You know who the laity are? You all. It's just laying around, <laughs> waiting for the pastor to do the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, because I think we're on a good path as a church. The lady, Tertullian, first writer to use the word clergy. That special cast of, of church leaders, like me, you know, Josh, the special people, who, what do they do? Clerg. We clerg all day. You, you lay all day. We clerg all day. Fast forward a little bit. Cyprian of Carthage um, in the um, third century, he started calling church leadership priests. So now he's using that language. He argued for an unbroken succession of bishops all the way back to Peter. So that, that happened in the third century to strengthen the bishop's office. So apostolic succession conceived to give more power to that office, that one leader, that ruler. Yeah, this quote here. Yeah, back to pagan Christianity. Human hierarchy and official ministry institutionalized the church of Jesus Christ. So by the 4th century, these elements hardened the arteries of the once-living, breathing ecclesia, Greek, language, Greek word for church, the called-out ones, called out of the culture to take the message to the culture of God, within which ministry was functional, spirit-led, organic, shared by all believers. So I want to show you two, just pictorially, models of church leadership. One I call Old Testament model or institutional paradigm where you have God up here, put the clergy here, mediate all the things to the people, right? One thing that's nice about this, it's very orderly. It's very clear who's the leaders and, you know, they don't really have to think too much or do too much because the, the experts are doing all the things for them. And that's kind of what we see in, in the Old Testament and what we see in a lot of other cultures, institutionalized leadership. Where I would argue the New Testament model looks a little more like this. Leaders are mixed within the body. Looks kind of like a pizza or an amoeba. It's not completely symmetrical. I should have made the circle not symmetrical because it's living it's organic there's still leadership but it's happening within the body leaders are emerging and there's clarity that christ himself is the head so we yeah so we we, we took us uh, up to fourth century or so let's think briefly and i know we're we'll, we want to sing here soon about the Reformation. Didn't the Reformation fix everything when Luther and the boys, you know, they, they, they started to bring back the idea of the priesthood of all believers, which is a very biblical thing. Every time the, the, the word priest is applied within the church, it is all of us. It is not in reference to the leadership. It's the priesthood of all believers. Yes, the Reformation 
addressed some of this as it pertains to each individual's access to God. So the Reformation said, you don't need the priest to have access to God. You have access to God. But they retained that leadership, almost um, that leadership level um, ecclesiologically. So they, they did not put the ministry into the hands. They kept the leadership at the top. In fact, Luther and the Reformers, and I know we're covering a lot of ground, they violently denounced the Anabaptists. So another group that that began to come out of the Reformation. The Anabaptists believed that everyone could participate in a worship gathering. Everyone had a role to play. And they actually violently opposed the Anabaptists. Blood was shed over that. Because we can't have the people stepping into those roles too quick. In fact, he said that it was from the pit of hell that those who practiced what the Anabaptists did. John Calvin, a major contributor to the Christian faith, wrote the book Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says the pastoral office is necessary to preserve the church on earth in a greater way than the sun, food, and drink are necessary to nourish and sustain the present life. Without me, can't even eat. You know, so they, they in fact, Luther himself uh, called the church building a mouth house. Meaning, what you do at the church is you show up and a guy talks to you the whole time. Um, in fact, he said that the ears are the only organs of a Christian. So we have this body of Christ imagery where, you know, all the body parts are functioning together and growing in maturity. And then Luther, in the Reformation, major contribution, he said, actually, the ears are the only organ of the Christian. So what you have is one big mouth and these little ears listening, and that's it. That's effectively um, what has happened within the church. So where do we go from here? Where does Mosaic go from here? Just a few thoughts as we wrap up. We, as leaders, we want to be about equipping our church for the works of service. That is what we want to be about. Uh, We want to get you all highly engaged in the scriptures, highly engaged in one another's lives. We want to hear stories where people are living out pastoral care amongst each other that we don't even know about, that the stories that we hear about that we can highlight, that we can can hold up as the body of Christ functioning. We want to share more about where we're headed into the fall and how we want to to be a church that equips you all. Uh, We have a family meeting coming up that Josh mentioned. We want our midweek meetup to be a place where we don't just come to consume, but we come to be equipped to then live out our mission out in your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your classrooms. We're going to introduce um, this fall some discipleship groups, small groups of three to five, so where leaders can emerge, where you all can disappoint one another at a rate you can absorb (laughs) as you look at the scriptures and you see the call of Christ on your life and you can meet together, coffee shops, the brewery, homes, all all those things. We want to equip emerging leaders. We, We want to work to continue to develop a staff team that doesn't do all the things but equips us to do the things. 
So that's just a little, I think we're on a good path here. So I gave us a little history. So we see in culture all these things falling apart. But we get to be a part of reclaiming the New Testament model of leadership. So the question for you, and just to think about, and maybe you're a guest and you're showing up and you're like, he's asking me, what could leadership in our church look like for you? The cool thing about our church right now is we can know every single person's name. If you're jumping in at this stage of this church, there are spaces for you to lead out. And so we want to help one another find those spaces, those roles. Yes, jumping in and serving on a team is great, but that's not all we want to be. We want to be about influencing one another's lives, the lives of our neighbors, the people that need to know about Christ and need community. So I'm going to invite up some of my friends, the worship team, and uh, including Sarah, who's on staff with me, one of our pastors, who's also a friend. And I wanted to share this quote from Canoeing the Mountains, Todd Bolsinger. And he says, perhaps the most unexpected... Oh, you have your... You can use this. Okay, sorry. (laughs) So he says, perhaps one of the most unexpected, challenging, and delightful work of transformational leadership is when it becomes the shared work of friends. Now, I've been through a lot of church hurt, a lot of difficult leadership things, and I wrestle with this. Can I do ministry alongside people I leave in the church who I would actually call a friend? There are some pastors who say, you cannot be friends with those you lead within the church. But I believe the New Testament model and what God has in mind is something different, countercultural, not like what we see out there. In fact, Jesus... He took his, his, his guys up to the upper room and before he went to the cross, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. And again, this is written to all of us. We get this insight because God wants us to be a part of this too. Jesus says, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. So I will leave us with... Um, We all, if you're part of this this church, we can be leaders to one another and to the world out there, and we can have a good time. Sorry, I'm taking this. (laughs) Doing that together as friends. So I'm going to pray for us and then uh, hand this over to Sarah, and she'll lead us in the Lord's Supper. Father, thanks for the morning. Thanks for uh, your scriptures, and thanks for the model we have that Christ gave us that's different than the world. And I love that picture of Jesus looking at the 12, those who would even betray him, he would be hurt by, but yet entrusting them to his business and in calling them to lead and to serve and to, and to participate in the abundant life in that way. I pray that you would lead and guide our church into the future. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.